0: Welcome to Straight Money, the podcast where two insiders give you the straight goods about investing and financial planning with no sugar coating. This podcast is brought to you by Easy Insurance, Vancouver's premier digital life and health insurance agency. For free life insurance quotes, go to www.easy-insurance.ca. Alright guys, welcome to the Straight Money Podcast where two insiders are going to give you the straight goods about investing and financial planning with no sugarcoating, live and uncensored, uncut, raw, Cam.
1: Absolutely. This is our first episode where we're coming to you actually live. Um, We hope to do this for the rest of our uh, podcasts. So hopefully it turns out well for you guys. And we're just going to increase our quality, we're going to increase the content. So don't worry, this is the worst it's ever going to be.
0: And you know what? I want to thank all the feedback and everything, all the love that we've been getting from the community. And that's part of the reason why me and Cam have decided to, you know, put our lovely faces on here and try and uh, woo everybody out there with our good looks. Okay. (laughs) All right. So listen, let's get to it. So you know what? What we've been talking about since the beginning of this podcast, you know, the last three episodes, if you guys haven't seen them, I recommend, you know, or listen to them. I'm sorry. I recommend going back and listening to them because as Cam mentioned earlier in the previous episode, they do build off of each other. Right? So what we've been talking about is what we call the three stages of financial prosperity, you know, and their financial security, number one, financial independence number two and financial freedom number three. And we've finished talking about financial security and now we're going to get into some of the fun stuff. This episode is going to be all about financial independence. Now, when we're talking about this topic, guys, there's so much that goes into it that, you know, in an hour long podcast, we're not going to be able to get into every single thing in detail. What we're going to be touching on is what we believe are the most important keys and factors that you have to take into consideration if you're trying to become financially independent count.
1: Absolutely. And like you said, we're just scratching the surface. We're going to be adding so much more as it goes uh, along. This is just really a foundation, kind of a framework for what we're going to be essentially filling in as these podcasts go along. So if we don't hit on something or you're like, oh, this is you know just kind of basic information, It's designed in that way so that you have the foundation and then the further podcasts are going to fill in those gaps, fill in those blanks with like concrete information where you're going to be able to take it essentially that day and implement it into your overall plan and solution.
0: 100%. And you know what? Some of the topics that we're going to be discussing that we're going to be touching on over here in the future, we're going to be doing a separate podcast podcast just on that specific topic alone on some of these topics okay because they're really really important and like Cam said you know the things that we're going to talk about are not necessarily things that you've never heard about you know the people out there listening to this you know they are interested in accumulating wealth they've probably done their own research they've picked up things over the years so when you're listening to what it is that we're saying i don't want you to be asking yourself oh this is something I already know. I want you to be asking yourself, is this something I'm actually doing? Cause that's, what's more important. Okay. So teaching is remembering guys. So we're going to help you guys to learn a few things. Hopefully we're going to help you guys to remember a few things. But what we really want is for you guys to start implementing these
1: things. Okay. That's a fantastic point. Um, a lot of people say that knowledge is power. And while that is true, It's not the whole thing. If you have the knowledge, but you don't have the means to actually implement that knowledge and you're not taking action on that knowledge, then the knowledge that you have is completely useless, right? So it doesn't matter. Like, okay, great. You knew something was going to happen, but you never pulled the trigger on something that's worthless, right? So knowledge is power, but without action, it means nothing. And like Yeram said, you want to be implementing these steps. Reflect on, do you have these things in place? because people might say okay you know I'm already too advanced for this kind of stuff the beginning stuff but when you look at their situation they don't have these things in place they don't have a plan they have none of this stuff written down so we definitely want everybody to go through the first kind of couple of steps and then get to the fun stuff which we're gonna start doing today 100% 100% so so first of all
0: all of these things that we're going to be talking about are things that you would want to start implementing after you've already achieved the financial security level that we talked about okay so until you've got an emergency fund set up until you've got income protection in place you know that's where your focus should be all right once that has been handled and you've got you know the financial security you've got the foundation and everything in place for yourself congratulations give yourself a pat on the back okay now what we're going to start doing is we're going to start to reallocate the money that you've already been saving to get to financial security, we're gonna start reallocating that money and trying to get to financial independence. So basically, you know, we said before that we weren't, we didn't, when you were investing this money, we didn't want you to be trying to hit home runs with it. Okay, now we want you to start trying to hit doubles, doubles and triples with that money a little bit, okay? And uh, so that's what we're gonna to start to get into. All right. Now you're going to start taking that money. You're going to invest it into assets that generate cash flow. Okay. And cash flow is basically what is going to be taking you to the financial independence. You know, we define financial independence as having enough income coming from residual sources of income that it's enough to sort of pay one's bills per month, or it's enough to pay one's monthly income. So within the financial independence, there's kind of two tiers to it. The first tier, the first goal should be to make sure that all of your expenses and everything are covered, okay? The second goal would be to fully cover your income so that not only are your expenses covered, but your income's covered, and you can actually keep saving and keep moving forward, Kevin.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So, okay, so how does one, how does one achieve financial independence then, okay? So we're gonna take, the money that we've been investing you know remember we talked about paying yourself first we talked about making it automatic so we're not going to uh, you know steer away from that we're going to stay with that we're going to stay with paying ourselves first we're going to stay with making it automatic but now what we're going to be doing is instead of putting that money and just parking it for a rainy day and investing it conservatively we're going to invest it into assets that generate cash flow for us okay So I want to get right into it. And I want to talk about what Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world. You know, his exact quote is compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it and he who doesn't pays it. So listen, let's not argue with a man that if he was listening to this or or watching this video would definitely probably be the smartest person Uh, here you know he's a mathematician himself and that's probably one of the reasons why he was so fascinated with compound interest count
1: yeah no absolutely and I just want to give everybody a quick example of how compound interest works very quickly so let's say that you have a hundred thousand dollars invested and you're getting a 10% return okay let's just call it an average of 10% your first year you're gonna get back $10,000 okay that's pretty easy to do So the following year, you're gonna get another 10%, but you're not just gonna get $10,000. You're gonna get the $10,000 already that you had the first year. You're gonna get, sorry, the second $10,000, but you're also gonna get 10% of that additional 10,000 that you achieved in the first year. So instead of just having $120,000, you're gonna have $121,000 because you're gonna be getting the $1,000 on that extra 10,000. And this is the compounding portion where it just keeps going and going and going and we'll get into this later with dividends and things like that when you reinvest your dividends you're essentially increasing the value of every single dollar invested because every single dollar is also getting interest uh, going into the future and that's where the math can get really crazy depending on the length of time and uh, the numbers that you're initially putting in and then potentially follow up um, contributions into whatever accounts or investments uh, you may have. Exactly. You know what? It starts to grow exponentially, guys. So you know what? To
0: illustrate the power of this, I want to share a little story with you guys. So you know, this is a story that I heard when I was reading a book called *The Compound Effect* by Darren Hardy, which is a terrific book about success and personal development in general, and it, in, it illustrates the power of compounding. So there was a there was a guy. He was a billionaire. He had two sons. Okay. Uh, You know, he was going to choose one person to be the successor for his empire, had a big business empire. He had to choose one of his sons. And in order to decide, he did a test. He brought both his sons in and he said, listen, guys, um, you know, I'm going to give each of you guys a million dollars. Okay. Uh, Or sorry, I'm going to give the one of you a million dollars and I'm going to give one of you a penny that I'm going to double every day. Okay. And whoever has the most at the end of 30 days is the person who is going to be able to inherit the majority of my wealth, which is in the billions of dollars, right? So one of his sons says, okay, you know what? Give me the million dollars right away. Okay. I'm going to take the million dollars. I'm going to do my best with it. The other son says, you know what? Instead of giving me the million dollars, give me a penny and then double it every day. Okay. So the first guy takes his million dollars, hires all the best advisors in the world. He calls Cam, you know, he hires the, the best advisors in the world, trade this money for me, do everything you can, give me the, the best return that I could possibly get. And then you know what? He he uh, he just like kicks it. He hits it out of the ballpark, throws a tremendous return. It shows a return of about 20% on his investment uh, in one month, which is unheard of. If you were able to replicate that, you would become like the richest man in the world in a very, very short period of time, okay? So at the end of 30 days, instead of having 1 million, he had 1.2 million, okay? The other kid decides to take the penny and it doubles every day, okay? So initially, you know what, the growth is really, really small. You know, it's only 2 cents the one day, 4 cents after, 8 cents, 16 cents, 32 cents, 64 cents, you guys get the point, okay? but long story short after 30 days doubling a penny every day ends up becoming just under 5.4 million dollars so when the 30 days were up and they both came in front of their dad they both showed up how much money they had and he chose the guy that had the 5.4 million and he said the reason why i did this is because i wanted the person that was going to be inheriting all of my wealth to understand the most powerful factor
1: in growing your wealth which is compound interest gap. Yeah, no doubt. And that really does illustrate it, right? It's sometimes people look at uh, kind of taking the quick buck initially, but they don't see what that money can potentially do for them, you know, months down the road or years or even decades, right? And uh, it takes somebody with the knowledge, right? First to understand that, but then B, as you said earlier, to actually implement it instead of just knowing it and never actually following through on it. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. So you
0: know what, to illustrate, <coughs> excuse me, to illustrate the power of compound interest, there's, there's something that Albert Einstein actually invented and uh, it's called the rule of 72, right? And basically what the rule of 72 is, is a simple way for us to calculate how quickly our money compounds, okay? And what it basically comes down to is if you were to take the number 72 and you were to divide it by the rate of return that you're getting, it would equal the number of years it would take for your money to double. Right? Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're seeing a 12% return on your investment, you know, 12 goes into 72, six times. That means that your investment would be doubling every six years. Okay. And you know, to really understand how powerful compound interest is, a person just has to use the rule of 72 and just look at what the difference is between just an increase of 1 or 2% on your rate of return over a long period of time okay an increase of 1 to 2% on your rate of return over you know decades is not you know 10 or 20% more it's 3 400% more okay and that's why you've always got to be battling for that extra 1 to 2% you know and and you've always got to make sure that your money is compounding You know, your money is going to be the fuel that is going to take your rocket towards financial independence. Okay. And then compound interest, you know, is the engine, you know, that 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 fuel is going to be servicing. And then your investments are
1: basically going to be the vehicle that 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 engine sits inside, Cam. That's a great point. And, uh, you know, we're talking about one or two percent. And sometimes when we think of percentages, it's like a one or two percent is nothing right? It's such a tiny amount. Cause we're thinking of 100%. One or 2% of 100% usually is not that much. However, when you're getting a return from a mutual fund of 7%, let's say, and you should be actually getting nine, but two and a half, you know, like, let's say, sorry, nine and a half, but two and a half is being taken away by the management fee. What is that actual value to you over 10, 20 years? Like Jeremiah said, it's massive. Uh, It's a massive amount of money. and Probably like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It depends on how much you started with initially, but if you started with like 10 grand initially, it's probably a difference of hundreds of thousands of dollars at the end of the day. Absolutely. The more money you have initially invested, the more of the effect that this has, right? So as a simple example, if you look at like a 1% fee even, right? If you're getting a 9% return and the fund's returning 10%, you're actually losing 10% of your money, right? That 1% represents 10% of the entire uh, return so mm-hmm. you have people who are getting four or five percent and their funds are maybe returning seven but they're getting hit with the fees and that's when it really starts to add up so you see a lot of these kind of um, things like Questrade is putting out oh just invest with us low cost things and that is good but usually that doesn't come with the knowledge portion or the advice portion so you kind of have to do it yourself so the goal is to get you guys to where you have enough knowledge that you're basically fully doing this yourself with some help in terms of like advanced strategies. But when you're starting out, it's definitely better to get some kind of advice, some kind of help, because that let's say 1% is kind of what you want to be aiming for in terms of like a management fee. If somebody is helping you out is going to go a long way. And there's been studies that show that when you're working with somebody like an advisor, uh, depending on certain uh, demographics and income levels, that your wealth can be two to five to six times uh, greater, even though that you're paying that extra, let's say 1% fee to an advisor. So not everything is so black and white as they want to have you believe on these commercials where it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, this is not a game that Questrade commercial where they're saying, well, this is my retirement. This is not a game, right? Yeah, yeah And yeah. Uh, that's, that's just sensationalism. Who's right? It's kind of in the middle, you know what I'm saying? And it really depends on your level of uh, investment experience. The more experienced you are, then you're going to want to pay less and less in fees because you're going to kind of be handling that yourself. However, if you have no idea what you're doing, you need to seek some kind of help or at least start on the path of the knowledge. And that's what we're here to do, to give you that knowledge so that you can do this stuff on yourself, save that 1% and compound your money even more uh, for you and your family.
0: Exactly, exactly. You know what, fees are not the biggest threat to your wealth you know or you becoming financially prosperous you are your biggest threat Mm -hmm. to becoming financially prosperous you can make the decision to not save and invest you know only you can right only you can make the decision to sell what the market's at the bottom because you can't handle the stress okay that's where an advisor is actually going to help you out because before you can sell uh, those investments when the market's at the bottom and everybody on the tv is telling you that the zombie apocalypse is over here Um, you got to call your advisor up you know and tell him to do it and then he's going to be just that additional sort of barrier and he's hopefully going to be able to talk you out of it and just be like listen you know what just be patient right um you know so and then you know hopefully your advisor is going to be the one that's going to sit you down and convince you you know or or help you to start saving money as well so advisors can be very very helpful Basically, what we're saying is try and get an advisor, but keep his fees as little as possible. Okay. Exactly. All right. So we're going to take the money that we were investing towards our financial security. And now that that's achieved, we're going to start putting it towards our financial independence. And we're going to start to get into that right after this short. All right, guys, welcome back. Welcome back. Okay, so listen, so here we go. How do you become financially independent? Are you ready for this? I hope you guys have a pen and a piece of paper out because we're about to start laying the, the knowledge out right now, okay? Number one, get your financial house in order, okay? So what that what does that mean? That means define your goals and objectives, right? In Like an archer cannot hit a target that he can't see. And a person can't be financially independent unless he knows what it's going to take. So what you got to do is you got to discover how much money you're going to need coming in monthly for you to be able to replace either tier one, which is your expenses or tier two, which is your income. Right? So in order to do this, you're going to have to basically look at how much money goes out and how much money comes in. Okay? So like I said, the first goal is that we want to at least have as much money coming in so that all of our expenses and everything are covered just from our residual income. That means that if we wanted to live frugally, you know, we could survive for the rest of our lives, basically living frugally. Okay. Goal number two would be to replace our income entirely so that we don't have to live frugally. We can live the same lifestyle that we're living right now and actually keep saving money so that we can keep striving towards financial freedom camp
1: yeah and if you guys want more information about uh, what your am I just summarized over here we talked about the stuff in the first three episodes so we're not going to rehash that those were uh, long episodes and there's a lot of information there so go check those out if you haven't already for what those things mean and how to get to those levels um, in terms of the foundation and uh, we're going to tell you what to do with it next exactly exactly so what we're going to do is we're going to
0: start by making a budget okay you're going to start to look at Where your money goes. You're not gonna be that guy that's like, oh, I just don't know where it goes. Okay, well, you know what? Why don't you run our corporation for us? You don't know where it goes. You know, we'd love to have you come run our company for us. You don't know where it goes. Okay, you're not gonna be that guy anymore. You're gonna start looking at where your money goes, all right? And what you're gonna do is you're gonna look at the expenses that you have that are unnecessary because there's two ways of looking at it, all right. You can either look at it like, let me accumulate so many assets that the return that I get on these assets is enough to cover my expenses. Or you can look at it like, okay, how can I reduce my expenses so that I don't have to save so much money so that to get to financial independence, I'm not going to need to have millions and millions of dollars saved up. So what's the best way to go? Both ways. Do both of them. Don't just do one of them. So save money, accumulate your assets, but then at the same time, reduce the amount of expenses that you currently have, Cam.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And again, go to the first couple of episodes, we talk about how to do that. So many people are spending money on uh, unnecessary things or they're going overboard, right? There's so many areas that if you just write your budget down, you can start cutting things out. Like we talked about, you know, we don't you probably don't need five different subscription services right? You probably don't need three different, you know, music listening services, all this kind of stuff, right? If you smoke, if you drink, whatever vice you have, you should be able to cut down on that and then essentially filter that money into positive things, things that are bringing you money, instead of things that are uh, just taking money away from you, especially if it's a consumable good. Consumable goods are really completely useless, um, especially if they're vices, right? But, um, Again, we're not telling you guys, don't do the things that you like to do. We're not like penny-pinching mindset. We are of the mindset of abundance and excess in moderation. And the more you moderate now, the more abundance and the more excessive you can be uh, in the future, right? So if you wanna just kind of be like living paycheck to paycheck in here, then just do everything you're doing right now. But if you really wanna get to your goals, uh, and your goals, I know, because everybody's goals are always big, right? You want a house, you want a car, you want a boat, and you want a, you want nice versions of this stuff, right? You probably already have some kind of version of this, but you want to keep upgrading. But the way to do that is to essentially cut back on expenses that aren't really going to hurt you uh, in the short term that much, right? Like I said, we're not cutting anything out fully, we're just cutting back, and then reposition that that money into something that's useful, so you can reap the rewards uh, down the road. It's like planting a seed of a tree. At first it starts, it's very small, but over time it grows and grows and grows from a little seed. And these expenses that you cut, this money that you've gained now from cutting these expenses, those are the seeds to your future tree, essentially. 100%.
0: 100%. So you know what we're saying is stop wasting money, you know, stop wasting money on, on things. Every monthly expense that is a waste of money that you can stop is like every dollar that you can save that way is one less dollar that your investments have to produce to bring you to financial independence. So you can reduce the amount of takes for you to get to that level quite quickly. If you were able to basically, reduce the amount of money that you're spending and you're wasting on things. You know, Uh, one way to do this is to download an app called Mint. You know, it connects to your bank, do all of your shopping using your debit card. That way you'll be able to control it. It gives you a report every single week, shows you where you're spending your money. So you can look at it on a pie chart and be like, okay, I'm spending 55% of my, you know, income on uh, eating at restaurants. You know, maybe that's where you can cut little bit and spend maybe 30% of your income you know uh, eating at restaurants or something at first okay exactly so that's what you want to do the uh, the more you focus on this the more you're going to find opportunities to be able to save money okay the next thing excuse me the next thing that you want to be doing is looking to eliminate your debts okay debts you know and having to pay um, you know, monthly payments towards them is like the opposite of becoming financially independent, right? So, now when we talk about debts, there's two types of debts, okay? There's good debt and there's bad debt, right? Good debt is any debt that makes you earn more income, right? So, if, if I've got a business loan because I bought this laundromat, you know, that somebody manages for me and it generates $3,000 a month for me. You know, that's good debt, right? Corporations go into debt all the time. They're very, very smart with their money. The reason why they go into debt is to make themselves wealthier, okay? Bad debt is debt that reduces your cash flow. Debt that reduces your cash flow is like car loans, credit card payments, and stuff like that,
1: Ken. Yeah, it's funny. Um, a lot of people don't actually know the differences between debt, they just think debt, all debt is the same. I had a buddy of mine, who got into, like, an apartment a long time ago, and he said, you know, oh, I, I made, like, 150K, like, if he had sold it. And he, his, the first thing in his mind, no joke, is, like, I need, I think it was, like, he was, like buy, like, a Bentley or something. That yeah, was the, yeah. I'm like, you are just an idiot if you do that. I, I would have literally, like, hunted him down to stop him from making that kind of a decision because it was yeah, just yeah, so yeah. dumb. I can't remember what the car was, but it was something that was a 150k, right? It's probably like a Bentley or yeah, something like God. that. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, you cannot do this. Um, he never sold the place, and he didn't end up obviously getting the Bentley. But, oh my uh, God. but yeah, man, people don't realize that, right? And like you said, these companies—that's what they do. So maybe they're buying—they're they're buying things that are gonna bring them more in the future right so they're spending a thousand dollars or they're borrowing sorry you know a thousand or ten thousand or a million or whatever it is so that they can make ten however if you're buying things that are depreciating and not bringing anything in then you're essentially just burning your money right and cars is one of the biggest uh, money sinks that you can probably find so it's a great example um, but a good example, you know, is real estate. You get all the leverage, things like that. And again, we're going to talk about real estate ad nauseum in a further episode. But, uh, that's something where you're getting leverage. It's appreciating over time. It's bringing you income and we're going to talk about that today as well. But, uh, yeah, you, you have to identify where your bad money is going, right? And you want to eliminate the higher interest debts, uh, first, right? So a lot of times. What we like to do, and especially if you already have some equity in an asset is to consolidate your debt, right? Because if you have, let's say a house and you have some equity in it, you want to get an equity line of credit going or a loan against your house, essentially take all that debt that's at 20%, 30%, 15%, whatever it is, wrap it up into something that's going to be maybe between three to five to 6% and your payments are going to be so much lower. You're going to amortize that over a longer period of time and you're going to free up a lot of cash flow to allow you to get that seed money for whatever it is, whatever venture it is you're going to get into. That's going to bring you that money uh, in that future. That's going to bring you those assets, those uh, cash generating assets for you to be able to uh, do some work with. Exactly. You
0: know what? Cash flow is the lifeblood of your financial independence plan. Okay. And like Cam said, look for ways to consolidate, look for ways to increase your cash flow so that you can put it towards investments that generate even more cash flow for you. And this is a cycle. And this is what they call the the cycle of wealth. You know, you take your assets, you invest them in, um, in cash flow generating investments. Those investments generate more cash flow, and then you take that cash flow and generate and invest it into more investments that generate cash flow. And you just keep repeating that cycle. Recent, uh, you know, rinse and repeat. And
1: that's the way that you do it, guys, All right. Exactly, that's just the same version of that compounding effect, right? You're, you're making money from one thing, you're taking that money, you're putting in another thing that's gonna make you money, and then after, you know, 10, 15 years, you got seven different things that are all making you money, they're all compounding, You've got you know people essentially kind of uh, handling things for you, so you're freeing up your time, and then you just keep doing this until you know you die eventually, and uh, or you want to cash in on your investments, right? And then uh, yeah, that, that, that's how you get wealthy, right? You build over time, and then you cash out at the end, kind of. One
0: hundred percent. You know what? Be- getting wealthy is actually pretty boring you know it's really simple right i'm not saying it's easy but it's simple you know you just gotta follow a simple system that's all and it's never ever been easier in the history of mankind to be wealthy than it is right now you know a person can hop on a computer and within 30 minutes open up an investment account with you know um any one of these service like wealth simple or there's so many different places and have access to capital markets. You know, before, the only way you could do that is to have a certain amount of money, minimum amount of money that you would invest. You'd have to have your own stockbroker. He would be charging you an arm and a leg every time he does a transaction. You know, it would it would be difficult for you to get financing, difficult for you to get access to capital, access to these markets. That's all available for you guys now. It's never, ever been easier. There's no excuse. Honestly, you know, if you, if you don't get wealthy, Um, living in America you know then you did something wrong that's all I gotta say okay so moving on I'm gonna okay since we're on the topic of financial independence I'm gonna talk about something that is a little bit you know uh, out of left field okay but you know if we're really truly talking about financial independence which is basically putting yourself in a position where you no longer have to work. You can sustain yourself from the cash flow that's being generated from your own investments, right? We have to talk about living in a place where the cost of living is lower than you are right now, because this is a legitimate strategy. In fact, I feel that out of the people that are actually becoming financially independent today, there's a very, very large percentage of these people that are actually using this particular strategy. And what I'm talking about is getting out of the rat race and moving to a place where it's really cheap to live. So for example, if I had $400,000 you know, set aside and that was generating about $10,000, or sorry, 10% uh, worth of return for me every single year, that would be about $40,000 a year for me, okay? Now, I probably wouldn't want to take all of that money and you know live off of it because you gotta reinvest a little bit back so that that four hundred thousand the goose that lays the golden egg right keeps laying those eggs for you and makes those eggs bigger and bigger every time so out of that forty thousand i might take say twenty four thousand of it and just say that okay you know what i'm gonna live off this twenty four thousand now if i was living in north america um that twenty four thousand is not gonna be a very lavish lifestyle okay But if I was to move to, say, Thailand or something, I could probably live like on the beach, you know, with my feet up, be partying every single weekend, um, you know, with that $24,000, okay? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people that are actually doing this right now, okay? And I'm gonna give you an example from a terrific book that I recommend to all of you guys, a book by Tim Ferriss called The 4-Hour Workweek, okay? And basically, you know, the idea behind this is that who makes more money, okay? Say, for example, we've got two guys. We've got guy A, he makes a $100,000 a year. And then we've got guy B, he makes $50,000 a year. Who makes more money, okay? Now, it seems like the answer is simple. Guy A makes $100,000 a year, so he must be making more money, right? But it's not that simple. What if guy A works 60 hours a week but guy B even though he only makes 50 thousand dollars a year only works 20 hours a week now who makes more money see if you look at it on a per hour basis the guy who only makes fifty thousand dollars a year actually makes more money than the guy who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year okay now let me pose another question to you okay say for example the guy who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year lives in Manhattan Okay, and his rent alone is like three and a half thousand dollars a month. Okay, but the other guy who makes only fifty thousand dollars a year, he lives in Thailand and his rent is three hundred dollars a month. Okay, now who's not who? Who doesn't just make more money? Who's actually wealthier? You know, the guy who makes the fifty thousand dollars is wealthier because he can do more with the money and because. He is not trading as much of his time to make that money. He
1: makes more per hour, Cam. Absolutely. And that's a fantastic point. Uh, What you mentioned about potentially uh, relocating yourself. It's never been easier. And a lot of uh, people are doing this anyway when they retire they know that they have this nest egg built up and it might not be big and they have their pensions coming in and that's what they'll do, right? They'll go to like the snowbirds essentially from up here in Canada. they will be six months in Canada here and then they'll go six months to like Arizona or Ecuador or something like that, where every night they can have a, you know, five star dinner with 10 different dishes for like 10 bucks a person and they're living in a villa on the beach. Whereas like you said, uh, if you're living in Manhattan, it's probably like three, four or 5,000 for like a little box and you're struggling, it, it's all relative, right? And all that matters, especially at the beginning, is how much money you keep, not how much money you make. As we talked about in one of the first uh, podcasts we did, we gave an example of somebody who basically is making 50,000 and somebody who's making 100,000, but the person making 100,000 is spending all their money, and the person making 50 is maybe not spending all their money, but at the end of the day, they're both living paycheck to paycheck, right? So it's how much you keep. And like I said, it's never been easier to relocate than it is now. And that's not the easiest thing to do in terms of maybe you have family and things like that. But if you're struggling where you are and you just can't get ahead, it's something you should look into. So many things these days can be done uh, online and we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. It's um, never after been the break, Right. But you, you just wanna be thinking of value and where is my advantage, right? If you're in a space, uh, whatever it is where you just can't get a leg up, you need to get yourself out of that situation whatever the cost is initially. Because again, it's gonna pay off, right? The guy in Thailand, maybe he's running some online businesses, he's hanging out and guess what? That guy is gonna save more money, he's gonna make more money and in 20, 30 years, he's gonna have more money and have more wealth than the guy making more money over here uh, in Manhattan. Exactly. You know what? In terms of their standard of living,
0: you know, a guy who goes with $400,000, you know, and gets a 10% return or whatever, you know, and is taking that 24000 and living in Thailand, in order for him to replicate that same uh, standard of living, if he was living over here in North America, he might need $1.2 million, okay? So, like I said, it's this is not something that you have to do to become financially independent but we just felt that since we're on the topic of financial independence and we want to be thorough about it that you know this is a legitimate strategy that people do and we want everybody to know about everything that they can possibly do you know if if you've got four hundred thousand dollars and you really really want to be financially independent then you know it might be as easy as basically doing that you might not have to you know, save money or find a way to earn another
1: $800,000 and then invest it. Okay. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point you bring up here. It's, it's a case by case basis, right? So many people take advice, especially financial advice as like an end all be all. And that's completely uh, the wrong way to take it. You have to see what your goal is, what your ultimate goal is for you, your spouse, your family, whatever it is, uh, your communal goal. And if you can reach that, Uh, with like you said $400,000 and you can then you might be set you're good to go but it's really up to you it's really up to kind of what you want to achieve if you want to buy a hockey team you're not moving to Ecuador on $400,000 you know you're it's a different path right you're taking more risks you're taking more debt Uh, it's just it's just all relative to what you're uh, what you're going to be doing so you need to essentially analyze the situation you're in and You know find out where you want to go and then bridge that gap sorry you guys can't see me here so you want to find out you know where you are over here right and your goal so if your goal is something small maybe you can reach it it's it's an easy bridge to gap if your goal is massive over here then it's just a bigger bridge to gap it's going to take longer it's going to take more steps that's all we're talking about here identify your solution uh sorry identify your situation first and then look for the solution to your situation versus you know the going kind of backwards and re-engineering it uh, the other way
0: exactly and you know what i wouldn't i would be lying if i you know wasn't if i didn't say that i had considered actually doing this you know and just going to thailand or something <laughs> like that with hundreds of thousands of dollars and that's it just getting out of the rat race it you know check off right we did yep. it uh but you know what i got two kids right i've got uh, i've got family over here that i can't just just uh you know leave behind i've got kids that got to go to school and stuff so everybody's got different goals right and it's not you don't have to do that we can be financially financially independent over here in north america as well and that's what we're going to be talking about how to do it after a short break over here guys so stay tuned for that all right guys all right guys welcome back listen no mercy today okay we're all about the cash so how are we gonna do it how are we gonna do it what type of investments what type of vehicles are the ideal type of vehicles investments to be able to get us to financial independence all right so we're gonna get into it right away number one dividend paying stocks okay so this is as residual as residual income gets okay what i love about dividend paying stocks you know or stocks that pay a distribution something is that it is truly passive income you don't have to do anything you could be in a coma and this money will keep coming in every single <laughs> month okay so true passive income you know can if the truest passive income that there possibly is we have to talk about dividend paying stocks. Okay. And so we talk about dividend paying stocks. We're talking about all those stocks that pay a dividend. You know, uh, companies like Chevron Energy Companies. You know, there's a lot of utility companies that pay dividends as well. Okay. What I especially like is real estate income trusts. Okay. I've got a lot of money invested in the real estate income trusts personally. Okay. Uh, I'm a believer you know in the real estate story long term and um you know real estate these income trusts they generate income because they've got properties that they rent out that income is very very stable because people like to pay the rent every single month okay but besides income trusts there's also i'm sorry a real estate income trust there's other types of income trusts okay uh especially over here in Canada there's income trust to do with, for example, oil pipelines. You know, the way that oil pipelines work is uh, oil companies use them to transport their oil to places where they can ship the oil or to the place where they're selling the oil directly. Every time that oil goes through, there's a toll that's charged, okay? So I like, I like to invest in things where the income is very, very predictable. I don't like to invest in things where, like for example, I wouldn't be a huge, proponent of investing in oil uh, companies uh, the reason why is because the price of oil goes up and down a lot I'd rather invest uh, in a company that ships the oil
1: because the amount that they charge
0: the oil companies is the same every single time count
1: exactly and uh, that, that's true like again with the real estate income trust that's an overarching uh, kind of uh, name for it so it really depends on what the income trust uh, the real estate income trust is holding Right. Some like in the covid right now, there's income trusts, for instance, that are holding the companies are essentially have purchased things that are like medical facilities and things like that. So, you know, that's never going to essentially go out of business. Right. The Mm -hmm. renters are going to keep going over there. However, if you have like automotive shops right, there's income trusts that will have uh, their businesses spread across a lot of different essentially sectors. And if you have sectors that like right now are being affected, for instance, if you have an income trust that holds a lot of, uh, retail space or sorry, commercial space in something, like I said, like a automotive in terms of automotive, no one's really driving. The cars aren't breaking down and maybe these people don't have enough uh, money to pay the rent. Right? So you really have to be uh, cognizant of that. And guys, we're going to get into like stuff like real estate income trusts, what they are and stuff in further episodes. So this is not like a, you know, a, a tell all of what is a real estate income trust. This is just kind of kind of get your feet uh, wet with this kind of stuff. Right. And uh, as you mentioned, dividend paying stocks right now are very important uh, more than ever because the interest rates have never been lower, right? They're historically the lowest that they've ever been in the entire planet. And you know, in Europe and other places, you're getting negative interest rates, right? Again, that's a little bit more complicated topic that we can cover at another time. But you're essentially not getting paid anything uh, on your money. The people who have kind of are the baby boomer generation. They're used to getting 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10%, even more um, on their deposits. So basically risk free deposits. And that's how they would fund their retirement and their lifestyle. So they would save, let's say a million dollars or $2 million. And like you said earlier, they might be getting eight or nine or 10%. So they're, you know, retiring on a hundred, two hundred thousand $200,000. Now a million dollars is generating next to nothing, right? Mm-hmm. 1% of a million dollars is $10,000 guys, right? That's it. 10 grand. You cannot live off of that uh, no matter where you are. And 1% is generous, uh, a a generous return for some of the deposits that you're getting. Sometimes you're getting half a percent, sometimes nothing. So a dividend income stock is going to give you five, six, 7% usually kind of the safer ones, right? You can look at your banks, uh, utility companies like Jeremiah said, and um, REITs also have a dividend paying uh, option as well. And they're usually higher, but you're taking more of a risk. Now, in addition to what you're going to get from stocks in general, is not only the dividend, depending on what stock you buy, but also the potential capital appreciation, the growth of the actual stock itself. So you're going to be making money in two different ways. And the longer you hold it, the more you decrease your risk. Again, a concept we're going to be sharing with you guys uh, in the future. But I just wanted to give you guys a little bit more information on some of this stuff and let you know that we're definitely going to cover this uh, in greater detail uh, down the road. 100%.
0: You know what? We're just giving an overview right now in future episodes. We're going to get into each one of these vehicles individually and have a whole segment on it because there's a lot of information uh, about each of these. That's very, very important. Right. But the the first thing that you guys need to remember is that the truest form of passive and residual income is dividend paying stocks for investments. Okay. Uh, They're the easiest. You don't need to have any knowledge, right? Um, you know, you could, you could get an advisor or something to sort of help you, right? And you just invest in that. You don't have to operate any type of a business, okay? And like I said, you could literally be in a coma and the money would still be coming in, okay? So that's the number one advantage. You know, it is possible to use leverage when investing in stocks as well. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, you know, part of the reason why, uh, uh, you know, many people make their first million off of real estate is because real estate is the easiest asset for you to be able to obtain leverage and financing to purchase, okay? So it's a vehicle that people can easily get into and they can use other people's money to do it, okay? So that's why real estate, you know, traditionally has been a huge driver of wealth for a lot of people. But what people don't realize is that you can also borrow to invest in dividend paying stocks. And that's something that we can talk about in the future as well, okay? Exactly. hundred percent. Now what I'm going to do is we're going to move on and we're going to talk about the next vehicle that um, is ideal for becoming financially independent. And that is multifamily or commercial real estate. Okay. So, you know, real estate is beautiful. You know, I think the statistic is seven or eight out of, you know, 10 millionaires made their first million off of real estate. Okay? and once again the reason why it's so easy to make money off of real estate and to make large amounts of money off of real estate is because you can use leverage you can use other people's money you can use the bank's money to purchase a property so for example let me give you an example of this okay say for example you purchase a property that is worth two hundred thousand dollars right you buy that property with say 10% down, Okay, you put $20,000 down, you buy a property that's worth $200,000 and that property appreciates in value by 10% Okay, in one year because the housing market is doing well. So now you bought the property for $200,000 and the property has gone up 10% and is worth $220,000. So now you might be asking yourself, well, you know what, a 10% return. I mean, okay, it's good, but it's not that great. Like a $20,000 return on a $200,000 investment, like that's okay, but that's not hitting a home run, right? But here's the thing, you didn't invest $200,000. You invested $20,000 and you saw a $20,000 return on a $20,000 investment that you made of your own capital. That's a 100% return on your investment in a 12 month period of time. Remember how we talked about the rule of 72? All you gotta do is take the number 72 and divide it by your rate of return. Well, how many times do you think 100 goes into 72? Less than one. That means you're doubling your money in less than a year if you're able to keep doing that, okay? So that's why real estate is one of the most common forms of investment when it comes to people becoming financially independent on account.
1: Absolutely, and uh, like Hiram said, real estate's main advantage is really the leverage portion, how much leverage you can get, right? And you're talking about 10%. Sometimes people are putting down next to nothing or even like borrowing money. So there is obviously risk. We're not saying it's just like, oh, you're going to put it in and this is going to happen. You still have to do your due diligence, still have to do your research, but it's a fantastic vehicle. And here where we are in Vancouver, real estate prices have gone absolutely insane in the last 10 years. And one of the biggest uh, mistakes that I actually made was I was going to buy a condo to live in and to invest. I think it was in 2016 and I was so close to pulling the trigger. It was $800,000 for like a 2000 square foot condo. It was the whole floor of this building and we never ended up going through with it. And the next year, unbeknownst to me, I have no crystal ball, it went from $800,000 and it sold the very next year for $1.3 million. Wow. I lost out on a half a million dollars tax free because I would have lived in it. You know what I mean? And that was one of the, and I'm not, I could not have predicted that happening. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. You know, the long run rate of return probably for uh, real estate is probably around 6% or something like that. I'm not sure what the, the most recent numbers are, but you never know what's going to happen. And while you're actually, you know, in that real estate, there's other things you can do. And, uh, you know, I know you're Maya, you're a fan of renting uh, real estate as well. Why don't you tell them uh, the power of that as you're waiting for your real estate to appreciate? Okay, 100 percent. So so when I'm talking about
0: using real estate to become financially independent, guys, I'm not, not really talking about, you know, purchasing a home for yourself. Okay, here's the problem with purchasing a home for yourself now I own my home as well so like uh, you know full disclosure okay so you know um, so it's not that I'm saying that don't buy a principal residence but when you buy a home for yourself what that home the financing on that is based on is your own income okay so there's only so many times I could buy a home for myself because my income only stretches so far so if I'm making say a hundred thousand dollars a year and I've got a $500,000 mortgage, you know, uh, on a property, then it's going to be very difficult for me to talk to a lender and convince them to loan me uh, another five, $600,000 so that I can buy a second property. Okay. And still you know, some renters, I mean, the property that I have, it might have like a suite or something that I can rent, but you know, uh, banks and stuff like that are not going to be allowing you to use all of that income, all of your rental income. They might let you use a portion of it and that rental income, especially on just a regular single family home is going to be very difficult for you to be able to pay the mortgage off on, at least in certain markets. Now, there's markets in the States where you can still do this. You can buy a house for one hundred thousand hundred fifty thousand over here. Um, in Vancouver British Columbia where I live good luck doing that because the average house over here is about eight nine hundred thousand okay so when I'm talking about using real estate to become financially independent what I'm talking about is owning commercial or multi-family real estate okay and the reason for that so what that is is you know instead of you buying a single family home you would buy like a fourplex okay so you'd buy one property that has four suites on it that you could rent out okay Now the rental income that you generate from those four suites is going to be likely more than enough to pay the mortgage and then the overhead, any expenses to do with the property and that kind of stuff. Okay. Now, when you're applying for financing for a commercial property, when you go to a lender and you ask them to borrow money, they don't look at your income. They look at the income that comes from the property because a commercial because a commercial property is actually considered a business of its own okay so it's got its own uh you know cash flow statements it's got its own income statements and stuff like that and you have to do taxes for it it's its own separate corporation basically okay so how many properties can i own if i'm using the income that the property itself generates the answer is as many as I want. I could own hundreds of properties. I could own thousands of properties. Okay? So that's why it can be a huge driver of wealth for you as opposed to just owning a principal residence. Okay?
1: Exactly. Sorry, and uh, a a, a lot lot of, excuse me, what a lot of people uh, do is not only will they get into those properties, they'll buy them obviously at a good value. They'll look kind of for the, the dumpy looking ones that just need a coat of paint. They'll fix it up. They'll charge Mm -hmm. higher rent, which is obviously going to increase the actual value of the actual place, but get the higher rent. And now they're making money on both ends and they're going to keep rolling their money. It's that kind of compounding that we talked about. They're going to keep rolling their money. So as they build equity in that property from essentially the rent that's coming in, paying off the interest principal, and a little bit for themselves, they're going to use that to get another another property and another property and another property. So if you look at a lot of these real estate syndicators, I mean, that's essentially what a REIT is. They're just buying a ton of property with your money, taking a small percentage to manage it and giving the investors back the rest of the money. The way that these REITs make money is they are managing hundreds of millions of dollars. So that one or 2% that they're taking in terms of management fees ends up being millions of dollars. And that's what these real estate syndicators will also do they'll take money, other people's money, so potentially investor money, your money, and um, they're going to buy these multifamily units, buy these commercial units, take all these different kinds of fees and give you the difference, essentially. Now, again, you know, you want to start small because there's a lot of things that go into it. It's not as simple as uh, what we talked about with stocks and dividends, where you're just buying it and like you're half dead, you know, in the streets and you're still making money in your account. There's a lot more involved when it comes to this kind of stuff. And we're going to do episodes on real estate that's going to cover all these kinds of topics in the future. But for now, understand that you can either do it yourself or you can pay somebody a fee to do it, right? So it's kind of good to potentially dip uh, your toes in both pools. But you really want to be kind of in the syndicator mentality where you're doing it yourself. There's a reason these guys do it. They make so much money. So you want to be on their end. You want to become kind of the syndicator rather than being the uh, one who's giving them money to manage uh, these properties. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And you know what? Honestly, uh, multifamily commercial real estate is such a juicy topic that, uh, that we could really get into it. We'll do that, you know, on another episode. But for now, all you guys need to know is that this could be a tremendous driver of wealth for you. It is an unbelievable vehicle when it comes to generating passive income. But unlike dividend-paying stocks, it is a little bit more involved. You gotta do a deal, you gotta find a property, you gotta make sure there's no problem with it, you gotta get the financing, you're gonna need a broker, you're gonna need a mortgage broker, you're gonna to need to go over there, you you might need to maintain it, you're gonna deal with renters. So this is actually like running a bit of a business, okay? And sure, you can get people to manage that business for you later on, but it's definitely more involved with dividend-paying stocks than dividend-paying stocks. Now the last thing that I wanna talk about when it comes to multifamily and commercial real estate is my favorite thing about it is that you get paid in three ways. Okay. The first is you get paid on the rental income that comes from the property that you're renting out. That's obvious. The second way that you get paid is that every month you're making that mortgage payment and you're paying that mortgage down. That means that your equity in the property is actually increasing. Okay. And then the third way that you're making money is that theoretically, you know, that property should be appreciating in value over time. So you're making money on capital appreciation. You're making money in growth of equity and you're making money from rental income. So it's like a three pronged attack, you know, leading towards your financial security or financial independence, I should say. Okay. So moving on guys, okay. The next, you know, sort of vehicle that could potentially bring you financial independence you know, are ones that we're going to touch on a little bit, but they're a little bit more involved. They're not as for sure, you know, as investing, you know, in assets and getting your income that way. You know, but if you're in a position where it's very, very difficult for you to be able to save a significant amount of money, and you're not seeing your way clear of being able to save enough money over a period of time to actually get yourself there, then what you need is other vehicles that are going to generate more income for you that are, you know, easier for you to get into. And one of those vehicles is an online business, for example. Okay. So what's good about an online business is that the cost to, to start the business, you know, um, and get the business up and running are usually quite small. Okay. So, you know, you can go to GoDaddy, you can register a domain name, You can, you know, pay a host, you know, 10, 15 bucks a month. You can, you know, get a website made with like some templates and stuff like that, and then you can start some sort of an online business. You know, it could be a website. It could be a blog. uh, You could do e-commerce. You know, you could go to Shopify. You could do drop shipping. You know, a lot of people are doing this kind of thing and there's a low barrier of entry. Okay. And uh, there it is, you know, potentially quite lucrative. There are people that are making a lot of money doing this camp.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, like we said earlier, it's never been easier to do some kind of a business because of technology, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the stuff that we do with our business is only enabled due to all the advancements that we have in technology. But like Jeremiah said, there's more risk. It's, there's there's a big learning curve with a lot of this kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of these courses that are out there that are telling you it's easy and just follow my course and this and that. Yeah. And now, you know, this kind of stuff is usually kind of snake oil, as again, we'll talk about in another episode, but there's a lot of people making a lot of money, working from home, doing these really low cost businesses, right? The thing is that you need to be getting the right information and you need to be finding value with everything that you're doing, right? So, you know, if you have a small budget, kind of try to dip your toes in the water of uh, just starting anything, right? Start a Shopify store. Uh, The best way to learn is just to do right. That's the best way that we know how to uh, do it. The best way that we know how to do anything is just to do it, make mistakes. But Mm -hmm. you need to start somewhere. The other thing that you want to invest in is yourself, actually, right? Get uh, education, get knowledge. Uh, But again, make sure that you're kind of vetting where your education and knowledge is coming from, right, because again, For every one good course or guru that's good out there, there's probably 99 that are uh, pretty bad and they're just gonna take your money, right? So invest in these things, look how easy it is to start. Like I'm pretty sure you can start like a Shopify store in like 10, 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Um, And just do your research, right? So come up with an idea and then just start doing everything step by step, right? Don't get overwhelmed because it is gonna take there's going to be 30 or 40 different things that you're going to need to take care of, but just start knocking things down one by one. And it's usually better if you're picking something that you like or that you're passionate about, right? No one really makes money uh, on something that they don't care about, right? Because you're Mm -hmm. going to get so bored with it. I've, I've been in that situation when I was younger where I'm just like, what's the quickest way that I can make money? And it was usually things I didn't care about, whether it was like some some kind of technology or what the product was, kind of like you know, it just didn't pique my interest. And I always dropped those things uh, very quickly because I just got bored and lazy of this thing. I'm like, I don't care about this thing, uh, and move on to the next thing. So pick something that you're passionate about, something that you're interested in. Do research on it, right? Be smart, and just go for it, right? hopefully that will spur you to have money to do the other things like investing in stocks and real estate um or you might just you know go crazy with the thing that you're doing but you're never gonna know until you actually try it
0: 100 percent. you know what uh, like cam was saying you know invest uh, in yourself right but do it in a smart way don't pay a guy fifteen thousand dollars a year uh, at a seminar to get information that you could have
1: gotten for a dollar and 25 cents worth of late fees at the library you know? I've, been, I've been to all those seminars, man. <clears throat> I've never bought anything, but I've been to them, and it's all always bullshit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then in terms of you know these online businesses, like for example Shopify, the low barrier of entry, you know, means that there's a lot more competition there. Okay, so because there's a low barrier of entry, that means that there's going to be a lot of people there. There's going to be competition, and you're going to need to know how to do it you know, but the best way to learn how to do it is to actually do it. Like, you know, I wanted to learn about digital marketing, you know, so what did I do? I started a website, you know, that's the best way. I I read a few books, but there's only so many books you can read because the books are not going to tell you everything that you need to know, you know, the nuts and bolts of actually doing it. You're not going to find out about it until you actually do it. So what did we do? You know, we started a few websites. We started a few online businesses. know that we've got running and it's a lot of fun you learn a lot you start making money and what's beautiful about an online business is you can do it from anywhere so you can move to Thailand you could if you have an online business that makes you two thousand dollars a month you know um, you know working from your home in Thailand it's probably the same as you having a job over here making seventy five thousand dollars a month so that's another advantage the disadvantage right uh, is that there's going to be a lot of competition that's not easy most of these online businesses do fail okay but the advantages are that there's a low
1: barrier of entry and you can do it from anywhere okay for sure and i want you guys to steer clear of things that have uh high overhead type businesses so we're talking about anything that has uh, like you need a retail space right and I'm talking about if you don't have money to start right so anything that needs a retail space anything that needs you to like take on a lot of inventory and invest into inventory or you know like clothing for instance like there's all these different sizings and things like that like you really don't want to delve into that kind of a market as your first business and especially if you have no experience and you have no money right same with like food or anything physical usually is not a good place to start especially if you're having to take on all the inventory. So that's why like drop shipping has become so popular because you're essentially just driving people to that uh, product and then that's being fulfilled by Amazon or some of these other drop shipping companies right so you're just kind of like a broker and being a broker is fantastic because if you're able to drive traffic to a product people will pay you handsomely for that. The hardest thing in the entire world, in commerce, in business, in in any business is customer acquisition, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can be good at customer acquisition for whatever it is, for whatever kind of niche, if you can build up a blog and have a bunch of followers, and people are going to pay for that traffic, they're going to pay for that customer acquisition, they're going to pay you a lot of money to do that. 100%. Yeah, you
0: know what, Uh, customer acquisition, prospecting, Uh, marketing is the master skill you know that any business needs you combine that with the ability to close a sale marketing and sales those two are the lifeblood you could give me a shitty product with a terrific marketing team and a terrific terrific sales team and we'll make a fortune but you could give me the best product in the world with a shitty or non-existent marketing team or a shitty non-existing sales team and I'll show you a bankrupt business okay so Moving on, let's talk about other types of businesses. Okay, so you know what Cam touched on it, you know, especially if you're just starting out, if you don't have a lot of capital, you've never really run a business before, uh, you know, owning another type of business, like a regular traditional type of business, you know, that has a retail outlet or something like that might not be the best place to start. Uh, But a place where you could start if you did want to get into that, because there's a lot of people that have become fabulously wealthy doing that as well, um, is getting into some sort of a franchise business. Okay. You know, the benefit of a franchise business is that they've got a proven system that is sort of turnkey. They can give you the system and then it's duplicatable, right? And then they can train you on how to run the business. And what you could do potentially is you could go run the business for six to 12 months yourself learn all the ins and outs of the business. And then you can hire, you know, a kid that just graduated with the bachelor's of business administration and pay him $40,000 a year to run your business and then start a second location, you know, and bring that location up a little bit and then get that guy to run both the locations for you. And that's how you eventually get financially independent from there. See, financial independence doesn't mean having these businesses that make you a lot of money, but you're working 40 hours a week to keep those businesses going you know you can still work 40 hours a week if you want to but you shouldn't have to if you have to that's not financial independence so if you own a traditional type of business the only way that you would be financially independent off of it is if you were to get somebody to manage that business for you and then you would be keeping a percentage of the proceeds after the expenses and everything are uh, are eliminated okay
1: Exactly. And uh, like my said, you know, uh, some of those businesses, people have made so much money, whether it's, you know, uh, like you said, franchises, like I'm talking about uh, food franchises or even like a auto dealer, for instance. Right. And it's, it's just about opening one, right. Getting that experience. And then like mind said, you open a second one and a third one and a fourth one. Right. So again, that's, a lot more involved, it usually uh, requires a lot more money. But if you have that money already, then it's a fantastic uh, potential opportunity. As long as you do your due diligence, of course, on the actual uh, franchise that you're buying and the location and all these other kinds of things.
0: For sure, for sure. And then you know what, the last type of business that is a suitable vehicle. So what we've been talking, I mean, there's a lot of business out there. What we're talking about are the ones that we see as the most suitable vehicles for becoming financially independent is a type of business that you can generate royalties from somehow you know so that could be something like you're an inventor you come up with a concept you come up with a prototype for that concept and you know uh, you you launch it you start to make a little bit of money on it and once it's a proven um, idea that is a successful idea that can be monetized further rather than going all the way And doing it yourself which may require a lot of time or a lot of capital what you would be doing is you would be selling the rights to that for to somebody else that has the means to be able to execute on uh, distributing that globally or something uh, and you're getting a a royalty on that for example so you if you guys ever watch the show Shark Tank or Dragon's Den or something you know sort of situation that happens a lot there guys will come you know and they'll talk about it and they'll offer you know to sell the business to somebody else and they'll be receiving a royalty on it or something. Uh, Another type of royalty sort of business is uh, becoming an author for example, you know writing a book, you know you produce something one time, you know and it keeps paying you again and again. Okay, That's an ideal model for becoming financially independent. If you know uh, when you have to make money by trading your time for money every single time, you're not going to get financially independent that way. What you want to do is you want to invest your time building something that is going to keep paying you
1: for the long term. Cam. that's a great point. And uh, the other thing you brought up, which is uh, really hits the hits home here, is this: just because you know an inventor is good at inventing something, doesn't mean he knows anything else about business, right? Exactly. A lot of people have that misconception that because either a they're good at something or B, that someone else is good at something, that means they're just good at everything to do with that, right? And when you look at, like when I look at uh, the clients that we've had Yerm and and the clients that uh, I've had and, and things like that, you see a lot of people who know how to do something very well, but they run their businesses in a very poor manner. And they're giving up huge opportunity in the marketing space and growing their business and things like that. Things that they want and things that they may think they know how to do, but in reality, they have no idea what they're doing. So at that point, they have to make a decision or hopefully someone kind of wakes them up to the fact that they need to make a decision of handing off these things that they don't know how to do, paying somebody else to do that and continuing to get paid for their expertise. Because guys, we're not making money by doing administrative tasks. Right. Like as an advisor, as advisors, we don't make money when we're, you know, doing paperwork or doing follow up calls or things like that. We make money when we're in front of a client closing some kind of a deal. Right. And our time in terms of how much we're getting paid for that time is highest when we're sitting and speaking uh, to a potential client for whatever product it is that we're selling. So all the other administrative tasks and things like that need to be handed off. In any successful business, there is a team, right? So again, if you're an inventor, you don't want to deal with all this other kind of stuff. You want to build an entire business because it takes a tremendous amount of the knowledge and, and money and all these other and resources to build that. You just want to get your cut, right? But you hand it off, like Jeremiah said, uh, to like one of these Shark Tank guys, and you just keep getting money. You're sitting on the beach. You're just getting money, letting these guys who are millionaires and billionaires build the business while your invention is paying you ongoing, right? So again, be very careful. Uh, Don't be so kind of egotistical thinking that just because you have this one skill that you know how to like market it, right? Like you said, Jeremiah, um, fantastic ideas are useless if there's no execution uh, for those ideas. So, you know, I've had many great ideas in the past. I never did anything with them and uh, they never went anywhere, right? Because I didn't know or have the skills on essentially how to take them to the next level. Exactly, exactly. You know what? Execution is
0: everything, guys. You know, like we said, when you're listening to us, don't ask yourself, do I know this? Ask yourself, am I doing this? Okay? Execution is everything. And you know what? Like Gary Vaynerchuk says, forget your weaknesses. Double down on your strengths. Don't try and be a jack of all trades. You know, it's easy for you to find somebody to do things that you're not good at for you focus on what it is that you do really well, you know, and build a business around that. Okay. So, you know, we're going to wrap it up over here pretty quick guys. Um, you know, by basically just saying that, listen, financial prosperity, it's, it's usually not a sprint. It's a marathon. Okay. Most of the people that actually got there, most of the people that actually are wealthy didn't do it overnight. Okay. But if you do have the right foundation, you know, in place already, then it is something that can easily be achieved over a period of time, especially where we live, you know, in America, they call it the land of opportunity for a
1: reason, Cam. Absolutely. No, that's that's great advice. Right. And um, just keep plugging along. Just don't stop. Right. As long as you're doing something, uh, you're gonna eventually reach your goal unless you're just completely inept, right? And if you are, have some, have some kind of uh, self-reflection to get you to the point where you know you need to get some help, and then go get that help. And that's your my what, what you said is perfect. Double down on what you know how to do, because everything else will fill in around you.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Listen, I want to thank everybody for tuning in this is the straight money podcast where we're all about the cash money and we gave it to you the straight goods like we promised we would until next time guys All right. That concludes our episode for the Straight Money Podcast. I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. Join us next Thursday when we have another value-packed episode filled with tips and tricks on how you can get ahead financially. If you got any value out of this episode at all, please leave us a review, give us a like, uh, share us on social media because we're going to really try and put it out there, guys. Thank you so
1: much. Stay blessed.